We are speaking with uh, everyone's uh, favorite blues guitarist, the one and only Jim Kirkpatrick from the band FM. He has a new solo album out called Ballad of a Prodigal Son. Uh, and as we say here in Montreal, uh, bonjour, Jim. Comment allez-vous? How are you? Ah, comme ci, comme ça. <laughs> no, right? no. Uh, I'm very well, actually. No, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, not bad at all. Good. So so let me talk about this, and we'll, we'll get into the album in a second, but you yep. are known as a blues guitarist, and I even have a terrific quote over here that I, that I put out. Uh, the um, Sonic Abuse magazine said, that your uh, debut solo effort, which in fact is your third solo effort, yeah. is a uh, something's pretty special. And they said that you are England's equivalent to Joe Bonamassa. And of course, Joe is a personal friend of mine. Uh, talk to me a little bit about this and about being a blues guitarist. And and, and then we'll get into joining FM and how, um, how different of a style that is, but... Talk to me about wanting to make your way still as a blues guitarist and doing Prodigal Son. Well, um, it's probably kind of what I've, I, I kind of grew up doing, really, and what, what I always did, although it's a bit of a strange one. I ne I've never felt like, I mean, I've been massively into the blues and rock and stuff like that, but as I grew up, I was, I was a huge Queen fan, and I was a huge Brian Wilson fan, and a huge Beatles and McCartney fan. So I never felt one, uh, you know, affinity with one genre of music in particular, really. Um, you know, so it was never kind of, well, it's the blues and nothing else, or, you know, or it's AOR or nothing else. So I just, I just like music, really, Mitch, you know. So I like all different kinds of stuff, but I did probably always have a bit of a calling. I think it's been a guitar player, really, though, isn't it, to that kind of blues rock sort of thing. And that's kind of what I started out doing. And, and have it, you know, quite a sort of popular, sort of fairly local, you know, sort of local band that, that played around and about as I was growing up. And then, but I was probably never a very confident singer, really. And that probably sort of stopped me from really pursuing a solo career so much early on and, and then I kind of got offers to go and work with other artists you see and then you kind of get that that slight lure of money to go and work with somebody else or people kind of you know would you like to come and do an American tour or kind of stay at home chipping away at my own thing really and I've been very lucky over the years to sort of get some nice offers of work with people so that kind of really took over doing anything myself to be honest with you and um, and I was very fortunate to have a steady stream of sort of session work and working with established artists for a long time, you know, even to, to this day, actually, you know, and then obviously the FM gig came along and that sort of changed everything, really. Yeah. So so talk to me about that in terms of uh, joining FM and how do you adjust your style? Do you adjust your style or you do you just do gym and you sort of fit it into what uh, into what FM does, because they're. They're certainly more melodic. They're certainly not. I wouldn't say they're blues-based. Um, do you adapt at all, or do you just say, no, this is it, and you, I'm going to give you new texture? Yeah, well, I mean, I think for me, going into FM, I was very aware. I mean, you still want to put your, your mark on it and your stamp on it, but I couldn't walk into FM and say, right, I'm here now. 
this is how it's going to be. You know, it it's it was far too long in the tooth to to do that. I mean, it didn't mean that you couldn't you know try and bring something fresh to it or whatever, but you couldn't go in and, and try and reinvent it. Really, to be honest with you, uh, I was very aware that most fans were were their favourite period for most people was the first couple of records. And I was always kind of a, for me, I didn't think the band needed to stray too far from, from that. So I always made sure that, you know, I, I would always try and think very melodically when I played on the records and stuff. And when we play live, when we play the old stuff, I try and play it pretty faithfully to the records because I, I think that's what the fans want to hear. They, you know, they kind of, they don't want to hear me, you know, you know, and when people play, when we play Bad Luck or we play That Girl, they don't want to hear me going off doing my own thing. You know what I mean? It's, they want to hear the record. I, I'd want to hear the record if I was going to see FM. So, well, yeah. I mean, listen, yes and no. Uh, I've never seen FM live, unfortunately, because I'm in Montreal, but. Yeah. You know, you you do want sometimes to have a bit of a stretch or a little extra yeah. part here and there. Uh, you know, that's what one of the pleasures of seeing Bon Jovi. Sometimes they stretch stuff yeah. out. But at the same time, you don't want it to be so foreign that you go, am I at a yes show all of a sudden? Where? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's fine in the happy medium, isn't it, really? Because I think, um, and, and I'm not talking out of terms because we're, we're friends. My predecessor in FM, Andy Barnett, he really went into FM as in, I am not playing the old stuff like it should be done, and I'm not playing this song, and I'm not playing that song. And a lot they lost quite a bit of fan base because of that, really. So, you know, there's certain things. When I played that girl, I played the solo note for note to it. When I'm trying to think of an example of something, there's certain songs where I think there's you've got poetic license, and there's some songs where I totally do my own thing. But some of those songs... Some of those guitar solos that Chris Overland played, uh, it's a bit like the All Right Now guitar solo. If you don't play it, it kind of doesn't really work, you know, sort of thing. So I got to say, by the way, Andy was very interesting because he spent a lot of time in Montreal. He was with Corey Hart for many years, yeah. was on the first Offense uh, album. Uh, which gave us sunglasses at night. I'm pretty sure he actually played on that track. So for for us as Canadians to see him then fly over to the UK and have this extra <laughs> career with the with FM, it was like, oh, yeah. the sunglasses at night guy is, is now in FM? Okay. Uh, did he bring a... Because um, Chris, you know, when you listen to Indiscreet and Tough It Out, Chris, Chris is definitely great, but Andy did bring more crunch in a sense to it. Yeah. Uh, do you find yourself um, preferring one guitar tone or one guitarist's parts more than the others? Do you prefer Chris's parts to to Andy's parts? Or well, it's really hard to say. I mean, Aphrodisiac, such a great album. Yeah. You know, which obviously Andy played on and and co wrote a lot of. I mean, his sound on that's fantastic. I mean, his playing on that record is is great. They're just very different players. Chris is a very melodic player and, and would play much more to the tune and to the song more so than Andy would. Andy's much more crazy and out there. But some of Andy's playing's like, well oh, man, it's it's fantastic, you know. So it's it's just very different, you know, it's two very different entities. It's hard to say really who I would say I would prefer. I don't 
it's just different, really. I know I'm kind of copying out there. It's just different. Yeah, it is. But yeah. all right, but let me let me get back to Ballad of a Prodigal Son here because that's what we that's what we came here for today. Yeah, you've got uh, Steve Overland that's contributed to it, Bernie Marsden, Sarah Miller, John Rhino Edwards, and a bunch of others. Um, talk to me about about this solo album. Is this one of many more to come, or was this like okay, I've got all this stuff built up, let me just shoot it on out. And then back to being the FM guitarist and, and focusing on that band. Uh, talk to me about that just a bit. Yeah, well, I mean, a few of the tracks were recorded a long time ago, actually. Three or four of the backing tracks I did, I did a long time ago. And a few of the songs have been knocking around for a long time. And I suppose always had the intention to, uh, you know, to do something with it. But, I mean, FM's taken up so much of my time for for the last 13 years i mean when i joined fm we just we didn't think anybody would be bothered about it and we the guys just kind of said look we're going to do four or five gigs a year and then you know take the money and carry on with what we're doing normally and, and we'll see where it would go and and you know sincerely like nobody thought 13 years later we'd still be doing it and would have recorded i don't know whatever it is seven albums or whatever it is that, that we've done together we would never have ever have thought that at all. Um, so it just kind of built up. So the idea of doing something solo just kind of got a bit more remote and a bit more distant all the time. And then you kind of throw into the mix, you know, I had two children in that time and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, it, and, and, and it just... That's a great way to slow down a career, by the way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it just kind of seemed such a monumental effort. To, to get it done to right. be honest with you and to do it and to do it on my own and to do it with no record deal or anything anyway probably about two years ago you know steve overland and you know, one or two other people said are you gonna do this or not you know you're always saying oh yeah i'm making this solo record and everything are you actually going to do it and and i kind of bit the bullet and probably about two years ago knuckled down to it and started to do it and then really put myself under pressure by announcing a crowdfunding campaign and a tentative release date, you know, and that really put me under pressure to, uh, because sometimes you need that to, to absolutely do. So procrastinators so need the pressure. I'm one of them. Yeah. So, so I did that and, and, and really cracked on with it. And then of course we then hit a pandemic and I was nearly finished with it, but of course, all of a sudden, I had nothing to do, like <laughs> nothing to do. And amazingly, I, I finished the last quarter of the record up, like in a couple of weeks, <laughs> which just seems laughable because I just didn't have any time before. <laughs> and um, and to be honest with you, Mitch, I didn't think anybody would be that bothered about it. So, and and I'm, do you know, I don't even know whether. You know, I went to quite a lot of effort to make sure I got a decent publicist and PR and all that kind of stuff. And certainly I spent quite a bit of money on the first video that I made for it. Mm -hmm. And bear in mind, I couldn't do any gigs or tour. I went to quite a bit of effort to get it out there in the world. And I managed to get a small deal in the States with it and a small deal in Japan eventually and, and got it out there. And I really didn't think anybody would care for it. And all of a sudden, I, you know, I got all the, these great reviews, mm -hmm. and there was nobody more surprised than me. Kind of went, oh, right, okay. And 
So that's made me think quite differently about it all now, really. So I am sat here in this room working on the next one as we speak alongside a new FM record. And right. I am going to continue it as a, as a proper solo career. Solo career. Good. And, and let me just, uh, let's remind the folks here that if you want to go get it, you can go over to jimkirkpatrick.com, jimkirkpatrick.com. It's there. In fact, that's where I bought it from just to let you know. So folks, you can, you can follow my example. Um, you've had a chance to work and tour and play shows with Bernie Marsden. One of the greatest guitarists uh, from the last, you know, 40 years, of course, all the stuff with Whitesnake and then the stuff he's done after, Moody Marsden and all that stuff. Um, what does he teach you in terms of guitar playing and in terms of the business? Because he is a little bit older. He has a little bit more experience. He must come to you and say, hey, you should try this. You might try that. You should write it this way. And of course, yeah, yeah. D- does he bring you into the shrine in his house that's dedicated to Here I Go Again? <laughs> well, he's not backwards in coming forwards if he thinks he's got some advice to give you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've worked with Bernie for 15 years on and off, and um, I certainly wouldn't want to uh, try and take any credit to say, oh, I've been his closest musical companion or whatever. But I've certainly probably worked with him more than anybody else for 15 years. Yep. Even and he's if that's great. Just even if that's just being the second guitar player in his band. I mean, strangely enough, I mean, I've probably done as many shows with him as anybody ever has done, maybe apart maybe apart from Mickey Moody, maybe. Um, but, I mean, Bernie's great, really, like that. I mean, probably most of what he'd say to me is, slow down, <laughs> you know, uh, what are you doing with that guitar tone? I don't like it, you know. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's... He's got plenty of advice, and and you know he's got a he's got a great sense of melody. And you see, even Bernie, for his love of the blues and stuff like that, you'd probably be really surprised at the music that he that he likes and he listens to. Yeah. And you know, as we know, he he's got a great ear for melody, and arguably he arguably wrote White Snake's best songs. You know, yeah, maybe. I, I love that 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 thing. And by the way, since before we mentioned Joe Bonamassa, I interviewed Bernie last year, and it was Joe who set it up for me. So there, there's oh, right. that. Okay. so there's yeah. the there's the connection. But, um, but do you look at his body of work with Whitesnake and 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 Moody and 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 say, okay, this this guy's a special writer, and and do you go for him to advice? Like when you're writing Prodigal Son, do you say, hey, what do you think of this composition? What do you think of this? Should I? Does he have any input with you on that? Well, no, we, we wrote one track together on on that album, which was called Always on the Road, which was kind of inspired by Joe because Bernie was working with Joe at the time uh, when we wrote that. And, and I mean, he's, he's great, really. I'm working on a track that um, I got to see Bernie in, well, about six months ago. I mean, we talk on the phone probably every couple of weeks or something. Um, I mean... I saw him in September, and, and again with that track always on the road. I mean, he just said, "Oh, I, you know, I want to write, you know, I want to write write with you or write a song with you." And he's great, really, because I just kind of went round to his house and he picked up the guitar and went played the riff, da 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 da, and then he sort of just kind of went off and made a drink or made a bit of dinner and then just came back. Oh, how are you getting on with that? Okay, and he's quite good at. I mean, I'm working on a track at the moment where he's just given me a little riff and a couple of chords and take that away and write a song with it, which is great, really. 
so he's given me a good springboard. And, and, and to be honest with you, I'll just pretty much present him with the final song and that'll, that'll go on my next record. And unless he hates part of it, that's probably how it will go on. So he's quite good like that. It's just That's kind of how my writing has been with him, that he just gives you a little snippet of an idea and lets you run with it, really. Yeah, he's he, oh, he's just amazing. Um, let me just go over to FM for a second. Of course, Tough It Out Live is coming out in April. You have yeah. said in the past, and I'm going to read it here, Tough It Out, I think, has better tunes than Indiscreet, but I personally never thought that it was as consistent. So when you're playing it live, do you? what do you do to make it consistent? Do you... Do you <laughs> Well, do you add um, in some little parts and go, "Hey, uh, we love Chris, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this consistent." <laughs> and by no. the way, that quote is on a Q and A on the official FM site, mm. so you don't even have to search very far to find it. <laughs> so will I eat my words? <laughs> yes, that that's basically it. Oh, here, I'll, in fact, here I'll read you the whole thing. I love Indiscreet, a total classic. Tough it out, I think has some better tunes than Indiscreet, but I personally never thought that it was as consistent. Those are my two faves, but then out of the Andy Barnett era, you have Aphrodisiac, totally different, but equally as good. That's the entire quote. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, um, oh man, what do I mean by that? I think Indiscreet is a really, do you know what? It's totally of its period. Mm-hmm. It's got, what's it? Oh, sorry. sorry about that. No worries. It, it, does it have like, it's got nine songs in Indiscreet, something like that. Mm-hmm. I think Indiscreet's like your tip- typical mid-80s album. It's probably about 42 minutes long or something like that. And every song is just really instant. Bang, 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 bang. And every song is great on it. And it's a really consistent listen from start to finish, I find. And you can listen to it again and again. Now, you put... I th- this is only my opinion. Anyway, you put right. Tough It Out on, it's got a few killer songs. I mean, when I first heard that album, which many, many years ago, like, I loved Burning My Heart Down. I just thought it was one of the, like, best things I've ever heard. You know, so th- certain songs like that and Bad Luck and Don't Stop, I mean, there's some great songs on that record. There's probably one or two for me that I wouldn't say I skip, but, <laughs> you know, but... Um, you listen to rapidly. <laughs> yeah, I would probably, you know, you don't really like to say because somebody will go, oh, well, that was my favourite song. You know, Can You Hear Me Calling is a great song, but it's probably not in my top ten. Right. You know, but it's, it, it will be to some people. There's two or three songs where I'm probably a little bit, eh, all right, okay, you know. But, but so, so let me ask you that, though. When you get to this, we're going to do the whole album live, and you have these couple of songs that, to you aren't the best that they've ever done or they just don't resonate, which is fine. Not not every song resonates with everybody. There's n- nothing wrong in saying that. How do you get through it on a show in terms of going, okay, I have got to communicate an excitement to the fans. I've got to keep my energy level up. What do you do? Well, the thing that I find, though, is music takes on a very different kind of meaning when you're playing it as opposed to listening to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I find once you start to learn to play it, you then find a different appreciation because whereas a certain song, you you know, so-so, when you start to play it, you might find it has a really interesting run in it or, or you know, I mean, there's 
I'm trying to think, is it, can you hear me calling? God, man, I can't remember now. You know, has two key <laughs> changes in it. Yeah. And so the whole time, you're trying to pitch your vocal harmony on the key change. So you're almost more concerned with that. And, and there's, there's quite a few songs that are probably, I mean, actually, this kind of sounds ridiculous, right? Uh, growing up, I was a massive blues music fan, but there's a lot of it now. I probably enjoy playing it more than I do listening to it. Uh, and, and I find that with some of the songs, really. And there's, you see, a bone of contention in the FM set was um, Heard It Through the Grapevine, which was a really div divisive song, um, which was sort of in the set for a long time. I mean, it was never a hit single here, but it was... FM performed it on, on quite a big... They performed it live on quite a big TV show at the time. So right. the band were quite well known for doing this cover. And it divided fans 50-50. And the majority of the band hated doing it. And I actually had no love for the record or listening to it. But I really enjoyed playing it because it's totally freeform. You know, there's no set guitar solos or whatever. So after, like, playing a 90-minute set that's... An FM gig's really mentally taxing. There is so much going on with that band. Twin lead stuff, the vocal harmonies. It's a very precise band to play in. And it's really, like, mentally labour-intensive. So you get to the end of the set, and we used to play Grapevine at the end, you know, and you could see half the band... <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's a good song to that's the perfect song for for the band because that's when you're like fed up you just go oh we got this one song to go and we can just go home like it, it it's perfect it, it shuts you down shuts you down but i haven't got a guitar right hand but it was great for me because it was just wah, freak out on the guitar <laughs> so it was just like and i didn't sing any backing vocals or maybe two lines or something so for me it was just like oh man I can just really relax on this. And because I didn't really – see, the other thing is because we're all singing all the time, you're really stuck to your vocal mic, and, you, and it's difficult to – or you run off and you go, ah, not my vocal's coming in, you have to run back. So <laughs> you, you, need um, to, you need to get uh, – not in-ears, but you need to get the uh, the wireless mics like Britney Spears or, you know, the, oh, the, the, <laughs> the headset. <laughs> so, so in a funny way, like even though I didn't really care for the record, and I used to kind of look at the set list and go, oh, why are we doing that or whatever? It was actually great fun to play, so so it, it kind of it's it swings around about really. That you know you, you do the odd song that's we we did a song oh man on the Rockville album called Only Fooling, mm -hmm. and that was probably the hardest song to to play live that we've ever done. Oh, such a great song though! Oh, such man, a but, great song. We put it out. We put the the album out. We put it out as a single. Yeah. So we kind of had to play it for a bit. We couldn't wait to ditch it. It was so hard to play. It was so hard to play. Well, you know, backing yeah. tapes, little little cheating. <laughs> Why not? Uh, we we love to do that in America. Get get our little backing tapes going. And and by since we're talking about uh, songs and and Andy, might might as well uh, cover uh, sunglasses at night for the next FM record. Um, let me, yeah. Why not? You know, let's 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 loop it all together. Uh, but let's let me just quickly ask you about Indiscreet Thirty. Um, you 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 have said that Indiscreet's your favorite, and here the band is going to re-record it and does. I personally think that Indiscreet sounds uh, Indiscreet Thirty sounds better. It's just fuller. There's more texture. There's more tone. Yeah. There, there's just. The the first one was was very sparse in 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 the you know and and this yeah. one is it's just full. Um, yeah. 
but you know, when you re-record -re a classic, there's always going to be a fan that's going to say, hey, mother, don't touch that. Yeah. Um, how did you get around that? And, and how did you manage to, what was the decision in terms of getting it redone and, and saying, okay, we need to stick to the original, but if we stick to the original and don't do anything different, then why are we doing this exercise? Um, yeah. How was that for you? And of course, the fans' reaction, unlike when Kiss does it or other bands, they've all been like, wow. Yeah, masterpiece we, we we had no intention of, of, of doing that at all of recording it and then you know certain pressure from the management saying look we can go out and tour this you know and of course make a bit of money blah -de blah and all that kind of stuff but then our publisher said as so many other bands at the time were doing it they were saying well look we don't own the recordings to these songs um if we want to license these recordings out you know if you re-record it then we own it, you see. Right. So, uh, so the, the, there was right. a certain amount of incentive there to do it, and I wouldn't say we got railroaded into it, but Steve wasn't very keen to do that. I wasn't really that keen to do it. But then we did a handful of the indiscreet twenty-five shows. First of all, which was yeah. that, that was actually my idea originally, yeah. and, and nobody in the band wanted to do that at all. They were like, "Oh no, <laughs> we don't want to do that." And, we played all those songs for years. We're bored of them. And I said, it'll go down like you won't believe. Hmm. So we had three shows playing indiscreet, only three shows, and they were all sold, sold out. And, 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 and just unbelievable. So a couple of years later, we had a few requests from a couple of people. Would you do it again? Oh, well, we said we wouldn't do it again, but... Um, but show, but show me the money, and we could talk. <laughs> <laughs> so we got asked to do it at a show in Sweden, I think, and we went and played it in Sweden, and it was like, oh, we should really think about doing a few more of these mm -hmm. sort of thing. And the joke always was, but we're never doing tough it out. It's too hard to play. That was the that was the thing with that and so, inconsistent. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, okay. so we decided to do some more shows when the thirtieth anniversary came around, and everybody just said. If you don't re-record the album from a merchandising point of view and from a publishing point of view, then you'd just be silly. You know, yes. at least you haven't got to sit around and write the songs, demo the songs or whatever. So we kept it. It's probably 90% faithful to the original kind of arrangements. Yeah, but I that 10% difference is just, it's sparkling. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's brilliant. But the, I, th I think... The, the benefit we'd got now is that Indiscreet wasn't very well recorded at the time. And the producer was the band's man. They didn't even have a proper producer. Dave King, who was the manager, produced it. He was the manager stroke live sound engineer. And he produced, when I say produced, I mean, I think I mean in uh, <laughs> vague terms, he produced the record. I mean, it was, there's not a lot going on. It's got a very strange, hollow, thin sound, that record. Um yeah, you know, which is part of its charm, I think, as well. But we did have the opportunity to, I mean, like when we when we did the Tough It Out shows, some people said, "Oh, well, will you record Tough It Out?" Then it's like, well, why would you re-record Tough It Out? You know, it's produced, you know, by mixed by Nigel Green, you know, and it's like it, even though that is of its time, it's still it's an um, we we can't make it sound any better than that, you know, it's. Um, it's an amazing sounding album, so yeah. we, we would we would never do that. But Indiscreet always felt like it never quite 
kind of got the treatment that it deserved, I think. So, yeah, tough it out, by the way. Uh, you know, you've got Desmond Child writing on there. You've got, like you said, Nigel Green. I mean, uh, that should have been a massive hit in North America. I, I don't understand why it, it, it didn't become, I, I don't understand why you're not the next Def Leppard over here, but. Yeah, I mean, you know. I'm sure, I, know, I know you've spoken to Steve and you probably know a lot of the story of that. And it was just, you know, they were assigned to, you know, the British subsidiary of CBS. And yep. CBS in America wanted to, to take them to America and, and work them in America. But it was it was a power struggle, you know, the, the, in England. Well, they're our band. Yeah. Well, so, well, listen. We get the same thing in Canada, and I've talked. I've talked to Lawrence Gowan many times, and not just in interviews, but off the record. And and I said, why is Gowan? You know, why wasn't Gowan Criminal Mind? Blah blah blah. Not bigger. And he says, you don't understand. I I was sandboxed. I was yeah. told by the Canadian record company that I was going to be a Canadian artist, and we were going to do much music, and we were going to do the Canadian tours, and they weren't going to put any money in any other market. And the yeah. guys in Honeymoon Suite have told me the same thing. The yeah. guys in Helix have told... And it's just like, wow, really? They sandboxed you. So I'm assuming that FM was sandboxed. You're a British band. Love it or hate it, but that's it. Leave us alone. Well, anyway. CBS in the UK, well, basically, their A&R in the UK were... Um, if anybody's going to break them in, in America and take the credit for it, we'll do it. You know, and, and, they, and they, weren't able, they weren't capable or able to do it, No. So it just became a power struggle. I'll tell you a very little strange coincidence about Lawrence Gowan, actually, as well. Is um, So I, I live, oh, I'm not actually in London, to be honest with you. So I'm, I'm nearer to Manchester, actually. Right. And I live in a, I live in a very, very sort of rural community, really. And I live near to Steve Overland and uh, in a village of about 2,000 people. And we have a neighbor who is Lawrence Gowan's cousin. Oh, nice. And he brought Lawrence Gowan to play in our local pub. <laughs> That's about great. 20 years ago, yeah. And he came and played. And, oh, I mean, he probably wouldn't remember me. But I have met, met him on a few occasions. But I'm, I'm friends with his cousin who lives just around the corner. Just around yeah. the corner. And, of course, uh, Lawrence recorded one of his first albums over there, uh, either I think yeah. at Ringo Starr's house or John Lennon's house or something like that. Yeah. So uh, anyway, great. But it, it's it's amazing how how record companies decide you're a British band, you're a Canadian band, you're a Japanese, and sometimes you just you can't get out of it, and you're sandboxed. I mean, you're just literally sandboxed. It's it's anyway. Totally. I mean, and I think nowadays, you know, for for artists like ourselves now, there uh, there is less and less need to be on a record label now. It's just, you know, being on a, I'm not really sure what a label can do for it, for, you know, a sort of heritage rock band anymore because you can't get on mainstream TV. You can't get on mainstream radio anymore. It's almost impossible. We personally know everybody in, in, in the business who can kind of help you. Uh, and you sign to a label and you're just tied into a deal with them for merchandising and paying a certain price for your product from them. Yep. And it's um and you got to give away 30% of everything and it's just like, "Hmm, not sure I need that." It's I mean, I, I I couldn't get a deal for my solo record and now I don't want a deal for my next one. 
Sorry, my children are banging on the window. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Well, well, let me let you get just, to them because we're, we're at half an hour. Of yeah. course, uh, Tough It Out uh, Live uh, comes yeah. out on April 9th, 2021. I have had a chance yeah. to have a, a preview stream of it. It is absolutely fantastic. And it does finish with Herded Through the Grapevine. So uh, <laughs> you know that at that point the band was done. And, of course, uh, jimkirkpatrick.com. You can pick up Ballad of a Prodigal Son. And uh, let me hold on here. Let me go down to this little thing here. You can also pick up Changed Priorities and uh, Jim, pa- Jim Kirkpatrick and Heavy Weather Bootleg Series Volume 1, all three currently on sale. Yeah. And uh, as we say in Montreal, Jim, uh, merci beaucoup. An absolute pleasure. And uh, just, uh, you know, I've spoken to Steve and stuff before, but uh, I've discovered FM late in life, you know, in the last 10 years. But but thank you, yeah. because Indiscreet, and I've got my synchronized shirt on. What a masterpiece, that album. I mean, just, it, it's amazing how a band like FM is better now, no offense to before, but is better now than yeah. before. You know, the, the albums sound fuller, the songs sound more mature. Steve Voice is totally yeah. rounded out. Uh, very much like Thunder and Danny Bowes. You've just, yeah, I don't know, you, you've bucked the trend. Hey, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, sir. And um, uh, we will see you online. Merci. Yeah. Catch you soon. Thank you, Mitch. Cheers. Okay. All right.